Hello and welcome to M&A on Trial, which is a podcast about those bits of M&A deals which, dare I say it, go wrong. Each week we'll be discussing what happens in real life when those words negotiated late into the night end up in dispute. We are your hosts, Harriet Martin, Senior Associate at Clifford Chance, specialising in M&A. And Sachin Tricker, I'm a partner at Clifford Chance, specialising in arbitration and post-M&A disputes. We're going to keep it simple, have some fun and hopefully give a fresh perspective for those of you, legal or business side, doing English law M&A deals across the globe. So Sachin, our fourth podcast, to terminate or not to terminate, that is the question. So we are talking all things termination. And broadly, this falls into two buckets, so termination under contract or termination at law. Um, So starting really with the first, termination under contract. So clearly, to state the obvious, this is where the contract actually provides for the circumstances in which one or the other party can terminate. Um, The example that I come across most often is um, if the conditions in an SPA aren't fulfilled, then normally that gives right to a termination trigger. But are there any watch outs in this space yeah i mean i'd say so you're really looking for of course you want the entirety of your document your spa to be clearly drafted but but this clause right make sure it is absolutely crystal clear when you can terminate contractually because if you misfire with your termination notice and you terminate wrongfully then the sanctions for that are pretty severe because that in itself will come onto this in a bit is is what we would consider to be a renunciation. You are evincing an intention not to perform, and that in itself could give rise to a termination, right? If you do it wrongfully, so you've got to be absolutely crystal clear with your drafting, and you've also got to be um, unambiguous, right, with the circumstances that give rise to a termination. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you one example, which you know perhaps at the time you think that might be quite a reasonable clause to include. But, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, not so. Um, So we were working on a dispute where the termination clause said that, you know, there were certain grounds you could terminate. But but after all, it's a termination had to be reasonable. Right. You think to yourself, right, okay, well, you can see one party wanting that to be included. But as it panned out, when the termination notice came, there was a big question mark. Was this termination reasonable or not? And how do you how do you gauge that? Right? Is it the process that was reasonable? Did you go through a reasonable process to terminate? Was the, were the allegations reasonable for, for termination? What was I bet it? You had a field day. Well, I had a field day. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you, ended up in an arbitration. It was an eight-week arbitration. Right, the costs were astronomical. We were, um, you know, we were countersuing that the, the effectively the termination was unreasonable, and uh, you know, we were claiming the best part of five hundred million pounds. And I'm glad to say we won. Great. So watch out for those types of clauses. Termination must be reasonable. Sounds good at the time, but it might come back to bite you. So unambiguous, clear drafting. You'd want that across your SPA. But here, check it, double check it, triple check it. And if if you terminate wrongfully, trying to tie this back to some of the concepts we talked about in previous podcasts, damages, what, Mm. what world are we in with damages? Yeah, so if you terminate wrongfully... Your counterparty could say that's a renunciation and they could accept that to terminate themselves, right? Now, in the ordinary measure of damages in English law is to put you in the position as if the breach term had been fulfilled. But in a termination scenario, you get what's called the loss of the bargain, right? Which is to put you in the position as if the whole deal had been contemplated or had been completed. So put you in the position as if this whole contract had been executed, what position would you be in, right? And that is your measure of, of damages, 
That's what happens if you terminate wrongfully. The measure could be quite substantial, right? Your limitation of liability provisions will, will still kick in, right? Those will, those will apply usually on a termination. But nevertheless, it's the loss of the entire bargain. So you put yourself in the position as if the whole thing had been executed. Right. So you're, we're talking big, big sums here. Big for, sums. I yeah, see. Which is why, you know, Harry, candidly, the decision to terminate, you introduced it, to terminate or not to terminate. This is the mother of all decisions. Right. Right. I mean, there are fewer decisions that, that are bigger than this. And that's why, you know, the sanctions for getting it wrong are also quite big. Interesting. And then to kind of tie it back to some of the drafting that we see in SPAs and in other documents, you often see um, a clause that says, and it all sounds very legal, but that termination doesn't affect an, a, a party's, either party's accrued accrued mm. rights. Do you find that that is something that gets... Could you tell us a bit more about that? And does it get triggered very often? Does it come up in practice? Yeah, I mean, it definitely comes up in practice. Um you know, it's one of those clauses which you often see in, in SPAs. Uh, I sometimes wonder why, Harriet, to be honest with you. <laughs> because... I feel like you say this a lot, Sachin. <laughs> we, we put a lot of things in our documents yeah, no, and you say, this is the position at law. He's like, what are you doing that for? Um, no harm c- to be clear, right? No harm to be clear, absolutely. Uh, but that, this, that would be the position at law. So, so termination of a contract is, generally speaking, forward-looking. Right? Yeah. So what it does is it turns future obligations primary obligations into what we call a secondary obligation to pay money right so it's forward looking it doesn't wipe the slate clean in terms of what's gone before so if you have an accrued right predating the date of termination that is still good right and it comes up quite a lot right i've got i've got an i've got another example in fact in fact an example that came up today tell me about um, it no less so we, we had a situation where um our client had a contractual right to certain documents if requested. Uh, it made a request for those documents. They weren't provided. Uh, a few months later, the contract was terminated. And um, our client nevertheless said, well, you know, we were entitled to those documents before the point of termination, uh, and we want them. And the counterparties turned around and said, um, well, because of the termination, we don't have to give you anything. That's it. Job done. Yeah, we had a similar thing actually just the other day. A client asked if on the sell side they've got a hell of high water undertaking in mm. their conditions, in their antitrust conditions. So this is an obligation on the buyer to do whatever it needs to do in order to get away the antitrust condition. And then if the condition isn't satisfied and the contract terminates, what does our client, what does the seller have in terms of rights um, if they don't feel like the buyer has actually tried that hard? And I guess the answer there is... Well, you've got a claim against them because, yes, the contract terminated, but if they didn't fulfil their obligation to do their best to get away the antitrust condition, then, as we said, there's a claim there. Exactly. So should we talk a little bit about termination at law? So just to kind of set the scene, this is where the contract doesn't provide um, for you know specific t- a specific termination regime, or, I suppose, if it does, but it doesn't exclude... Right common law rights to terminate and that's very common right so you'll have a situation where parties have spelt out the particular grounds that give rise to a contractual right to terminate but they'll say that's without prejudice to your rights at law or doesn't exclude your rights at law that's very common mm-hmm. right. okay so should we talk about the different yeah. rights at law why don't you kick well, there's, us, kick I mean, us off there's quite a few to be honest with you so it's <laughs> should we stick, stick to the ones that i suppose or start to the ones maybe that come up come the up most, most often, often. Yeah. so 
the, the ones that you see most often in practice are the allegations of a repudiatory breach. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this on a previous episode, didn't we? But yeah, right. let's refresh. Um, an allegation of a renunciation, which is a little different. I'll explain why. And um, breaches of conditions or breaches of innominate in terms. Right, those are probably the, the most the most common, and of those four, maybe the first two are the most common. To be honest with you, repudiatory breach is a substantial failure to perform. Okay, so you're looking at a a major failure, right, for one party or the to the before to perform. I think I gave an example in a previous episode. You got to deliver a car. You, it's not got an engine, right? I mean, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a serious and substantial failure to perform your bargain which will enable the other party to say enough's enough we're done right comes up quite often to be honest with you a lot of people just allege it right any old breach of contract i'll say oh that was a repudiatory breach that wasn't no no no, it wasn't was it a substantial failure to Mm. perform or not right Mm. so there is a difference between a breach of contract and a repudiatory breach um renunciation Right, I mentioned that is when you evince an intention that you're not going to perform. Right, so th- this is quite an interesting one in, in English law because the law says you don't have to wait. Right, if the other party has made it damn clear that you, they're not going to perform, that is a renunciation which you can accept to bring the contract to an end before the actual obligation on them to do something has actually been Correct. triggered. Correct. Right. Absolutely right. So. You know, sometimes if a part if a party is showing that it's not going to deliver on its side of the bargain, right? It's just, you know, it's it's not taking the necessary steps that it needs to take to deliver shares, or something along those lines. Um, it's showing uh, no intention whatsoever um, to deliver a final payment. Um, it's running out of cash, for example, and won't have the funds to make the payment. The law says you don't have to wait, right? And that why wouldn't we put you on your you know, challenge you a bit here, but why why would you in those circumstances, maybe either legally or commercially, why would you, why wouldn't you wait just to see? Like, what's the advantage of terminating well, I mean, I've, early? I've got, I've got a situation right now, actually, okay. where um, an obligation is to um, have something approved by a particular date, and that date is four and a half years down the line, Right. And this particular document that has to be approved, it actually needs to be delivered next week, right? So it'll be delivered next week, but there's a there's effectively a long stop date, right? If it's not if it's not approved by you know maturity date somewhere down the line, then there's a right to terminate the contract. These guys might not even put the document in, right? So do I have to wait four and a half years mm. down the line? Yeah, you kind of want to cut thing? ties and yeah. I you see. know, you could you could just say right, enough's enough. You've evinced an intention that you're not going to perform. I'm accepting that renunciation. I'm terminating. I'm getting the loss of my bargain. Well, I'm glad to hear that they're getting legal advice before terminating <laughs> Sachin. <laughs> Do you know what, Harry? I mean, it's remarkable how many clients come to us and say, um, you know, I want to terminate. Can I terminate? Right. Thank God. Sometimes yeah. you get clients that say, I terminated. Yeah. Did Here's I? the termination yeah. notice. And now the other side said that I renounced the contract. What are they talking about? <laughs> well, you know, we'll have to d- dig into this. So, you know, it, it is a major decision, not one to be taken lightly. Um, and, and so, yes, make sure you get legal advice before you pull the trigger. And you mentioned a little bit about, so we talked about repudiatory breach. We talked about renunciation. You talked, yep. you mentioned a little bit about conditions in, in nominate terms. Should yeah. we should we try and draw out a little bit about that as well? Yeah, I mean, so, so these are, 
these you could probably regard them as exceptions actually to the overall philosophy of a substantial failure to perform but you know a breach of a condition is is a breach of a term that the parties have attached such significance to that it's elevated to this magical status of condition so if you breach it however severely however trivially it triggers a termination right so you know for example the law may will likely consider time is of the essence to be a condition of the contract so if you if if you don't deliver even by minute principle it's a breach of a condition right breach of an anominate term is not such a thing but it's you know something of a of a slightly lower magnitude but if you breach that term then depending on the particular circumstances uh then that might give rise to a, to a termination right depending on the circuit on 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 the consequences of the breach the severity of the breach um you know an example might be a breach of confidentiality Right. Mm. If it, it might be a trivial breach which has had no real consequence um, but it might be a breach of such significance that it shatters the bargain yeah right if it goes to this information goes to a competitor for example right. a huge huge commercial issue there. huge commercial issue that might well give rise to a, a, term, a termination right at law so um, you know there, there are as ever with these legal principles it will turn on the facts but those are the overarching um, principles and as I say, most common you see repudiatory breach renunciation. Uh, otherwise, if I'm being honest with you, Harriet, most times in SPAs, the parties have specified the particular provisions that will give rise to a termination right. Um, and, you know, they may say a material breach of contract or or a breach of a material obligation. Two different things, mm. but but those are generally the way, the way it's done. And should we put some of this just into the wider context? So we've kept it very legal, but clearly there's a lot at stake commercially right so imagine yeah. that when clients come and talk to you about you know can we terminate yeah. sometimes you must have the conversation do you really want to terminate does that happen correct yeah we do um you know and, and that gives rise to a you know broader commercial dialogue with them but you know yes you, you may well legally have the right to terminate but but what next yeah where does that get you well you know what's going to happen now um, do, do, do you want this deal? Do you want these shares? Do you want that product? Do you want that service or not? If you don't want it with this person, who's going to give it to you? Have you got a replacement contractor, supplier, purchaser? What, what, you know, what, what, have, have you thought this through? Yeah. Um, because the last thing you want to do in these situations, and you know, depends on the climate, a knee-jerk termination is the worst of all scenarios, right? You, you may be legally in trouble. Commercially, you've got no plan B. What do we do now? So, you know, it's really important before you even really get into the weeds of the legal analysis to think, right, let's assume I can terminate. What happens next? Got it. So I think that is a good place to start doing our takeaways. So clearly we've said this point a few times, but before you terminate, either under the contract or at law, think, do I really have the right to do this? And we would say this, but... Take legal advice. <laughs> Absolutely. If you misfire with your termination notice, the uh, sanctions could be severe. You're talking at loss of bargain damages, uh, a contested uh, set of legal proceedings, arbitration or court litigation, which could take years. I think lastly, taking all of that into account, do you really want to terminate commercially? Are there any other levers to pull? Any other way that you can get there without necessarily you know, pulling that? that trigger and doing that thing that is as you said <laughs> a really big important action uh, in terms of your your contractual obligations very good great thanks Sachin. 
Next week on the podcast, Resolution Confusion. In the heat of trying to agree complex commercial points, thinking about how disputes can be resolved might fall to the bottom of the priority list. However, as we will see, failing to think about this upfront could have serious consequences down the line. See you next week.